Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. My name is Sonali Tare, Vice President of Strategic Content with Cornet Global, and I'm the host for today's webinar. We will hear from two experts today who are going to discuss insights, ideas, and learnings around recruiting and retaining top talent in the corporate real estate world and how culture can play a role in that. With that, I'd like to introduce our two speakers today. First, we have L.V. Hansen. L.V. serves as the Senior Director of Culture Strategy for Procore Technologies and is the co-founder of Procore's Culture Academy. L.V.'s experience ranges from leadership and organizational development to culture and business strategy, designing and facilitating proven culture-shaping initiatives. His long-term love and high-level involvement in sports have inspired a team-centric approach to his leadership, style, and coaching methodology. Next, I'd like to introduce Julie Heisen, Managing Director, West Region PDS Lead, Market Solutions and Work Dynamics at JLL. In this role, Julie is responsible for the development and implementation of progressive and innovative models of service designed to accelerate value in the industry. Leading into her current role, Julie served as a project and construction management lead in Northern California, where she was responsible for a team of more than 185 professionals across the Bay Area and Sacramento. With that, I'd like to hand things over to LV and Julie. Sonali, thank you. A special welcome to all of you and just a little more context on Procore and what brought us here. We are really, again, grateful for the partnership with Cornet and count it an honor to be able to work with the thousands of owners across the industry. And our hope is that we can really dive in together on the power of culture, driving and building better business, specifically focusing on attracting and retaining top talent. And uh, I'll tell you right now, y'all, you've upgraded to Julie Heisen. She's one of my favorite leaders. And this is a fun opportunity to partner with her in this discussion. So Julie, I thought I'd throw it to you for any other personal intro and comments before we kick it off. Thank you for the for the intro. I feel very honored. I, I don't that's an understatement, humbled, privileged, all the words to lead a 700 plus growing team in the West region. I don't know how I got here or got that privilege, but it is a privilege. So this topic is super important to me and I'm excited. I'm excited to have the conversation with LV and, and again, engage with, with the folks that are on the call today. Julie, thanks. And in fact, to that point, there's four questions that Julie and I are going to dive into the structure for you will be four questions that we've prepped some insight on. And, uh, and I'll stress, these are learnings that we're currently engaging in. I don't think we're coming in from a place of subject matter expertise as if we've figured it out, but we are learning with you in this ongoing dynamic of the talent challenge, right? The, the labor challenge that we're all facing. So how do you recruit top talent? How do you retain top talent? We wanted to talk about first, the guiding principles of top talent recruitment. Secondly, discussing the role that culture has begun to play in retaining top talent. Third, demonstrating how our industry can operationalize these ideas to build great teams. And then fourth and finally, walking through some personal learnings and maybe even some predictions for the future. Julie has a magic eight ball, so all questions will be filtered through the magic eight ball. But those are the four questions. And Julie and I will go back and forth and sharing some thoughts. So the first question, just overall guiding principles of top talent. Julie, I want to throw it to you first. A few moments and thoughts on this first question about sharing the guiding principles of top talent recruitment. Go for it. 
Yeah. I mean, first of all, I love the question. And I, in kind of thinking about my response to this, I thought, what a shame that this isn't documented somewhere that, you know, it's not a guiding principle truly that our teams kind of use across our our organization to when they think about engaging with talent and recruiting talent. So probably some takeaways for me and some action for me to to co-create something with our teams to, to think about for the future, but just kind of riffing like, there, there are kind of three top things that came to mind for me. The first one was curiosity. And the reason for that is, you know, I, I think recruiting strategies, like it's not a one size fits all, right? It's very one size fits one. And I think curiosity is a really underrated tool in recruiting. You know, at the end of the day, like we're recruiting, especially in, in a talent war that exists today for all of us, right? We're all kind of fighting for the same pool of talent and there's not as big of a pipeline kind of coming into the industry. And so, when we think about that, I think we have to think, you know, about the fact that you're recruiting a person, right? It's it's not it's not the next employee number. It's not the means to an end, right? The the person that's going to fill that gap on your team. It's like you're really creating, you know, you're really thinking about an individual and you're trying to create this experience and this journey, you know, and I think about it a lot like dating, to be honest with you, like, and not like speed dating or tender, or I'm out just having fun, right? But like, I'm dating because I want to get married, that type of courtship that occurs in the recruiting process. Like, you want to spend the time, right? Spend the time to get to know the person. You're building a lasting relationship. So what, what makes that person tick, right? Who are they as a whole person? And whether or not it's a mutual fit in that moment for the business need right then or for that person's you know, uh, ambition right then, right? It's a really small world. And those people cycle back around and or maybe you're looking for a job one day and they're the hiring manager. And so I say curiosity, but really leading with the question of how do I want this person to feel as I engage with them in this experience, right? And in that recruiting process and and then followed with this genuine desire through curiosity, right? To really get to know the person. I also think not for today, but there's an interesting kind of conversation probably to be had about the role of a hiring manager in the recruiting process versus the role of a recruiter and, and how personal or impersonal that can feel, right? I know for me, if I'm if I'm being recruited, I don't respond to recruiters in the industry, right? If a leader, a business leader is not willing to reach out to me personally and engage, like, I'm not so interested in in the opportunity. So I think thinking about the roles that we all play as we have these touch points along this experience and journey with people. And then really quickly, kind of the last two things, guiding principle two, radical candor, not my words, you know, stolen from a a great author and, and thought leader, but we try really hard not to hide our weaknesses. Like I want people who come into this organization to know what they're getting into, right? Again, think about like a marriage. Like I want to know that my husband doesn't put the toilet paper roll on the right way. Like I just need to know it right out the gate. So expectations are set, right? So I think, you know, we open and lead with this vulnerability around the weaknesses that we have in our business, where we have gaps, whether that's cultural things, value things, people things, process, tools, whatever that is, like lead with that vulnerability and that weakness and invite them to share the same, right? Like where are their weaknesses? And and I think in doing that, we also give feedback along the way. So if they have a conversation with somebody on my team, let's say as a part of the recruiting experience, and that person gives me some feedback, right? We share that back with the candidate. Like, hey, here's some ways that we really see alignment value, value-wise, cultural-wise, your skill set to match the skill set that is required. And here's some gaps that we may see that we we may have to work on together if you join the organization. So just radical candor in the process. And lastly, which which aligns well with that, I think is as clear as kind. Like 
be really crystal clear about what the objective of the role is, what you're looking for, the values, you know, that, that your team wants to demonstrate, that uh, aspires to demonstrate and what we expect from the person coming into the team, but also the role, like what does success look like in that role? And just be really clear uh, about what those expectations are and be willing to say no. You know, I think the most damaging thing you can do to culture is sort of know in your gut that someone's not the right fit, but there's such a, a need or a demand that you, you say yes anyways, right? And then we all pay the sort of compounding responsibility uh, for that later. So, you know, be in it for the long game, right? And spend the time that it takes to get to know somebody, apply curiosity, be candid, clear as kind. Those are my thoughts. LV, love to hear, love to hear what you think about this. I love all this and what came to mind when you shared the story about creating space for people to ask the hard questions and for the real vulnerable, authentic, personal moments. I mean, what comes to mind first is that top talent is going to have their choice of where they go. And so they're, they're not going to follow sales pitches. They're going to follow invitations to a compelling and invitational culture. And I think that starts with language. I think the language of the mission, vision, values of an organization, it's that's table stakes. Is the mission of your organization, is it clear and is it compelling? The what you do, the vision, which frankly, again, I know there's a hundred different definitions of this across different consulting firms and organizations. But I, for simplicity purposes, I operate on the mindset that mission is what, vision is why, values are how, what, why, and how. So mission, vision, values, are the, is the mission compelling and clear? Vision, does it create some energy and sense of willingness to sacrifice for? Simon Sinek calls a compelling vision something worth sacrificing. If my mission is clear, I know what I'm doing. And the vision is clear, I know why it matters and it's compelling, and then values, I know how it's done and how we stay aligned as a team. If that's compelling, again, that's table stakes. That gets the conversation started. Then to Julie's point, we get into spaces of personal connection and vulnerability. And if at that point, there's space for people to get real in the the recruitment process, then there's opportunities for conversations like, hey, what are the things that you don't want me to know that I'm gonna find out about in six months? I had a mentor tell me that. And frankly, when I joined Procore, I asked that question. I said, hey, I love this experience and I'm really, I'm really vibing on the culture and I'm excited about this, but let's get it real. We know that organizations are made of humans and we want to embrace it. We are perfectly imperfect. So let's talk about the imperfections. I'll share with you some of mine. Here's the areas that I am in development and most need of growth. And what are yours? And it was amazing because across the organization and the different interviews, I got to hear from some people that answered candidly. Here's the things you're going to discover in six months that we don't want you to know about. Great. And then other people that dodged it and danced around it. And I was like, okay. And that's not surprising. But um, to Julie's point, the personal curiosity piece, if the mission, if the, if the mission, if the vision, if the values are compelling, then again, that's table stakes. Then we get into the personal connection and the real expression of culture, which is that space of people feeling the freedom and the trust level to bring authenticity to the table. What I would add in terms of of specifics to this, in the recruitment process, when you're trying to go after top talent, the question that has helped us at Procore is the question of the hiring journey. Do we, does everybody at Procore, do all of the hiring managers and the people that are part of the hiring process, do we have crystal clarity on the hiring journey? Frankly, Here's a question. How many steps are part of your intentional hiring journey? I'll I'll bring up an image for you. And this is just something that has served us well. 
but here's a, a, some imagery for you. When we're talking about recruiting top talent, by the way, this is the baseline fundamental cornerstone um, mindset for Procore around culture. The purpose of culture is to always drive business. We have to connect the dots on business impact. We say that if culture has positive business impact, then we take the wins, we take the profits, we take the successes from that business and we invest back into culture and it's a flywheel. But here you go. What's the hiring journey? We had to map it out so we were crystal clear on the different stages of the hiring journey. And top talent can sniff out intentional processes versus accidental. And top talent wants intentional hiring process. Here you go. Here's our hiring journey. And if you have an idea of what the journey consists of, then you have an idea of how to be able to intentionally move these people, not cogs in a wheel and, and not just pieces to a puzzle, but humans, people that are going through the experience, intentional hiring journeys create opportunities to create personal handoffs and movements and hosting through the journey. And frankly, let's share it. Hey, this is what's ahead. We want you to know so you can be prepared. And so the first point that came to my mind was the hiring journey. The second point is the candidate experience, right? This is the experience for you as an organization on the hiring journey. What about the experience for the candidate? Are you keenly aware of their experience? And frankly, are you intentional in shaping that in the best way possible? What we do is we give our people that are applying for jobs at Procore, we give them interview guides. We literally try and give them everything they need to know to win for their interview. I know some organizations, and I've been part of this, where they, they try and stump you. They try and throw curveballs and create tension points to see how you react and how you... And I go, okay, I get that to some degree, but what if we flipped it? What if we recruited top talent by giving them everything they need to win? to give them the best opportunity to show up in their best self. Here's what we're looking for. Here's some, some, some uh, types of interviews that you're gonna have on site. How do you prepare? And in the process, a personal connection through the entire experience for questions, for dialogue, for banter, for feedback, all of it. The goal here, if, if we wanna re recruit top talent, we wanna do everything we can to reinforce our desire to make sure they win, not just in the recruiting process, but in the development process, in the journey of, of employment. And we hope that that sets the stage for them to experience ongoing wins for however long they're at Procore. And um, so again, just some, some practical tools and tips for you to consider in how culture drives the recruitment of top talent. Julie, anything that you would add to that? I love that. First of all, I'm going to, you'll be getting a note from me separately to steal that, um, that slide. Thank you. Um, <laughs> there's no shame in my game. Uh, we can steal with pride or borrow, borrow from excellence. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I love that journey map. And I think this is a good prompt for the second question, you know, similar, and I'm going to use this reference a lot, but similar to dating, right? Often what happens is we we are highest touch, highest touch points and most intentionality often happens in that recruiting phase, right? You're trying to get somebody on the hook, right? And, and then you get them and you get them into the organization and that the level of sort of engagement, right, from leaders or others in the organization decreases pretty dramatically kind of post that onboarding if you've got a solid onboarding program in place. So when we think about that, LV, the next question, right, discuss the role that culture has begun to play or plays in now you've got them, how do you keep 
them in the organization, right? What are your thoughts on that? I, I love this question and I'm, I'm going to be maybe overly simplistic with this, but I think this in the simplicity is the power. I wholeheartedly believe that the greatest retainment strategy is centered around leaders that actually live out the culture that was sold. Top talent's going to buy into the mission, vision, values of an organization. They're going to buy into the culture of an organization. They can choose where they want to go. And so they want to go to a place that they love, that has the best runway for them to grow as a person, as a team, and to be part of an organization that has global impact. Nobody wants to be part of something that has minimal or no impact. We want to be part of something special. And so top talent is going to move towards that. Retaining top talent, I wholeheartedly believe, is connected dynamically to leaders that are actually living out that culture. Leaders that are that their lives and their character are congruent with the language of the culture presented during the recruitment process. We say that, that healthy culture is built, and again, simplicit or uh, simple in theory, incredibly complex in practice, but we say culture is built through a simple process of name it, live it, build it. Name it, live it, build it. Language creates culture, leaders model culture, teams multiply culture. That second phase, the live it piece, that's the smell test. And when people join an organization, they're waiting to see, okay, I, I got sold the bill of goods. I was told everything about why this place is amazing. Now let's see if it actually pans out. And the first place that they're gonna look is, is leadership, both the hiring manager and then the executives of, of the organization that represent the organization as a whole. They're wondering, do my leaders actually model this culture? And if and when leaders are living out the clear, compelling culture language that was presented during the re recruitment process, people will stay and they will, they will push away financial gain and financial reward because they they are part of something that that fits part of something that has character and has longevity and frankly deep deep trust when leaders live out culture i'm for i firmly believe it's the most powerful tension strategy you, you all know that it's the quote no one leaves a job they they leave a manager and if our leaders if our managers if our executives are living out the culture it is a compelling motivating reason to stay regardless of offer or regardless of opportunities. So I think that the, the significant, powerful consideration here for you, for me, is are, am I, frankly, am I, and are our leaders modeling and living out the culture that we have sold people on? Julie, thoughts from you? I love it. I'll, I'll double down on that congruency comment and, you know, but I'll, I'll lead with when I first thought of this, I thought, you know, you can always have some, have uh, just some personal reflection, right? Kind of when I think about why I stay and the role that culture plays and why I stay where I work, right? Like that's a great question to ask yourself because we're not all the same, right? But, but some, fu some fundamental needs that we have are kind of all the same, right? So I thought about this and I thought, you know, when I think of culture, if I think about it, break down, break past that word, right? Of culture which is, you know, sometimes so hard to define or people struggle with. And I thought it's, it's really, how do people feel in the organization, right? Do they feel this strong sense of connection to the vision, to the values, to the mission, to the purpose, right, of the organization? And that ties to that congruency piece, because if they feel strong connection to that, 
and then it's not lived right and demonstrated through leadership and through you know teams in the organization there's going to be a problem at some point right retaining that talent but do they do they feel that strong sense of belonging is it a mutually invested partnership right like is there a and do i feel like i'm being invested in by my manager right or by leaders in the organization or by the organization and do i feel invested in them right because if i i can be getting all the investment in the world and the relationship but if i don't feel invested in them maybe for some of those reasons above right that i don't feel a strong connection to the vision or i don't feel a sense of belonging it's not going to last right it's not a partnership that's going to last so are they getting what they need from the organization people's needs are so different right and we're we're obviously uh, you know covid has been this catalyst to shifting you know how people work where people work are feelings associated with language like office as an example right and so it's just further shown us that people's needs are different it's a, it's not a one size fits all it's a really a one size fits one and so are we applying curiosity once somebody's on board to really know what is it that you need now right to to feel supported and to feel like you belong in the organization and i think all of that is culture right all of that kind of the, the bow on that is culture and it's and it's hugely important to retaining talent. But to double down on the congruency comment by LV, when I thought about this, I thought, why have I left, really, why have I left other firms that I've worked at? And when I think about that, it has had nothing to do with what I'm compensated for or the challenges that I get to take on in the organization or career growth, or even to some degree, my manager, you know, relationship, right? Like in, in many cases, those have all been great things. I've left because there's an incongruency between what the values, the stated values of the organization were, which I believed in, right? I, I onboarded those and thought like, heck yeah, like I'm in the right place, right? This is, this is who I am. And I can't, can't wait to sort of operate in a culture that that is shared that has shared values right and instead what i saw lived out in the organization was something entirely different and it and it's a broken promise right in many ways right it's a uh, we make promises on our websites that's that is uh, whether whether you designed the purpose mission you know value statements on your website or not you work at that company and therefore you represent those promises that are being made out in the marketplace to clients to you know potential talent coming into the organization. And so I think at the end of the day, like, yeah, I think number one is, are we living in congruency with those, those stated values? Um, and, you know, there's, I don't know who, who I can give credit to for this quote, but it's definitely not mine. The, the quote of, you know, culture is really defined as the, the worst behaviors that we tolerate. And that's why people leave. Right. And that may be their boss. Right. But it may also be kind of other leaders in the organization. So I think that's huge when, when we're talking about retaining talent, for sure. What, what came to mind there, Julie, because I know we're talking about this from a theor theoretical standpoint and from the ideal. What hit me when you were talking about that is that I think we've been a part of organizations that reveal that it's going to happen. Right. I mean, the, the, it's, there's going to be moments when people's experience is incongruent with their expectations and hopes based upon what was promised. That's not a fatal moment. I don't think that space has to be fatal. Here's what I mean. If and when leaders are incongruent with the values, it creates an incredible opportunity for vulnerability and ownership. And if and when the leaders recognize that moment and own it and come clean and actually talk about that and give visibility into that, and create space for people to understand the journey of growth from, from the organization standpoint and from the leadership standpoint, that actually has incredible opportunity to build even greater trust. Now, it all hinges on one thing. 
are they actually going to do it? <laughs> do they continue to live congruently with the language that's been shared? And so I, I don't think the goal here is perfection. I think the goal here is integrity and being able to share real life on an honest level what's happening. And to that, I would just add one more thing to uh, top talent retention. Are they heard? And um, in that space, being able to get a consistent idea of what your people are experiencing, feeling through culture, culture surveys and culture touch points is critical. So the question there that comes to my mind is, how are you gauging the culture engage, engagement and, and the culture pulse and temperature of your organization? Highly encourage a consistent culture survey strategy. Moving to the third question here, demonstrating how our industry can operationalize some of these tools and ideas to build great teams. How do we operationalize this? Julie, thoughts for you in terms of getting practical with some of these ideas and theories? Yeah, I mean, this is, again, I'm not an expert. I just, I've, these are just lessons learned. And, you know, what I would say, LV, is, and we had this conversation before where I said to LV, I'm, you know, I struggle sometimes with how to scale culture, right? To how to take a, if I've got a 700 plus growing by the day team, right? How do I scale culture across an organization that large? And that's just one small part of our 90,000 person firm, right? And so I think when I think about this question, I feel like where we've had the greatest success and where I've seen the greatest success is start small and grow outward, right? Like have influence from outside of, of sort of a, a proof it, right? Pilot, pilot some of these operationalized, you know, operationalize the tools and that work, you know, kind of has to be done in a small team where you've got people that are bought into it, willing to invest the time in it, right? And, and then other people see the success and you can sort of scale it across the organization. Where I've seen it fail is where we have tried to sort of create these things up here at the top, right? And then push them down into our, you know, uh, very large organization. It just, it, it, as it, it, as it filters, right, it just loses steam and we sort of, it gets watered down and, and it's not sticky. It, it doesn't, it's not as effective. So we've had some, some pretty, I'll say transformational kind of cultural imperatives and initiatives that have happened where we've, uh, we identify a group of what we consider influencers. And that's not, that's different than leaders, right? Influencers could be, they're any level in the organization, but they have profound influence in the organization. So people listen to them. They're sort of like maybe the first followers, if you will. And we find those people and we sort of train, train there, right? But they are dispersed across the organization. And then we sort of give them the tools to go out into their pockets, into their teams in the organization and, and create the change, right? And you're not affecting the whole at one time, but you're, you're doing it in, in enough pockets across the organization that you hope to kind of raise, raise all boats. But I think this is a, is a, it's a tough one, right? Depending on the size of your team and sort of the maturity of the team together. And are you a startup or are you a, you know, hundred thousand person organization? Like there's a lot of nuances there that can be challenging. And LV, I know you've got some thoughts and there's also a, a pretty challenging question that I think a lot of us grapple with as well in the chat, if we want to get to that after your, your thoughts here. Thanks for highlighting that. And we'll read the question here in a second and then comment on it. Operationalizing culture. Uh, is a brilliant question, especially as it pertains to retaining and recruiting top talent. What I want to share with you, and warning, this is potentially overwhelming, um, but I hope you see the intentional journey here that when we think about culture development, we don't think about it limited to this idea of just making people feel happy as if we're trying to shape a utopian experience or even just perks. 
but the, the nature of culture development is really driven around building the best business possible. And I shared with you that at Procore, one of the strategies that we've really created for this idea of intentional culture development is name it, live it, build it. Name it, live it, build it. Name it, language creates culture. Live it, leaders model culture. And build it, teams multiply culture. The power of, of uh, attracting and retaining top talent is that you're really building on the language. Again, it's what attracts people to your culture. What does your culture stand for? What does your organization stand for? The what, why, and how? So in terms of operationalizing this, how do you get practical with really building great teams? The first question I have is, how many of your executives know your what, why, and how? And I'm not talking about know the link where they can find it to read it or know what conference room it's framed in and what wall they can look to. I'm asking how many of your executives actually know and can recite with crystal clarity your mission, vision, values. And from there, the deeper question, you know what's coming. How many of your people know and own and can recite with crystal clarity your mission, vision, values, the what, why, and how? And so at a fundamental level, the first stage of operationalizing culture that, that attracts and retains top talent is getting crystal clear in your, on your North Star, the what, why, and how of your organization. And so we work, we've worked hard at Procore to know our mission is to connect everyone in construction on our global platform. And we joke about it. Our executives, if they're in a room of more than three people, they repeat it. Our executives have become chief repeating officers. Language creates culture. Everybody Procore knows our mission is to connect everyone in construction on a global platform. And everyone at Procore knows the vision, the why of our mission. If we accomplish our mission, what happens? Our vision at Procore is to improve the lives of everyone in construction and our values, the how, how do we stay aligned and empowered together, the how, openness, ownership, and optimism. Those are the why and how. That's the first stage of operationalizing this. So the second I would suggest goes into the second phase of culture development, live it, leaders modeling culture. Here's the question. What does your leadership development program look like? Frankly, that assumes that there is a leadership development strategy. And I'm not talking about just for your executives because I wholeheartedly believe that while your executives really define the culture, your managers are the ones that cultivate it and build it. What is the leadership development strategy for your managers, the frontline leaders that are leading your teams? And if you have an intentional leadership development strategy that reinforces your North Star, your what, why, and how, and empowers your managers to live authentically, and empowers your managers to empower their people, then we start really creating operational excellence as it pertains to your culture, which is going to attract top talent and dynamically will retain top talent. Make sense? So again, just some more thoughts there. And I share that slide with you to reinforce the journey I had that we're all on. Procore's in there. I know uh, Julie and JLL are in there and, uh, and we get to learn with and from each other in the process. So Julie, you wanna read the question that was thrown into chat? A great question there. Sure. Yeah, so it says, I'm in a country with extreme diversity in race, language, communities, et cetera. How do we bridge these diversities in relation to culture and retaining talent in the workplace? Y'all, I'm super excited to share with you that Julie has an answer to this and it's, it's an easy button. So she's gonna drop some immediate gold and answer this question for all of you. Julie, take it away. Wow, that was, that was so well done. I'm taking notes. That was the best deflection, no. Um, 
I mean, yeah. So I, I good question. It is a great question. And to be honest with you, I'm a big believer in co-creation, right? Because I think, um, and what I'll say is it takes a lot of work. You have to be really invested in this. And and I'll give an example. We we have a global uh, executive board for the business line that that I'm in and that I lead in. And I'm on the leadership team for Americas, but we have two other regions, APAC, EMEA. And uh, that that makes up a global board. And, and there's some kind of North Stars, right, that our, our team has been working on defining kind of what is the North Star when we think about ourselves as a global operating unit, right? Not just, you know, West region or just Americas or just, you know, APAC. And so it has been a lot of work, like very, uh, I'll say sometimes painful work, like wordsmithing, right? This word to us means this, but to me, it means this, right? And it's like, well, then that's not common language that we can use, right? So you're having to really work together to get to what is common language that we can all align to, to LV's point, you know, um, language is the culture, right? That's what you're, that, that, that's sort of the, the, the anchor. And so, but it can be hard, it can be exhausting work to get there, right? But I think, it also shows a commitment to the team to bridge that gap, right? To, to kind of co-create that common language um, and those shared values and shared mission. And, and I think if you can align around those things, right? The behaviors that that help support those things, it becomes much easier, I think, to, to bridge some of those maybe cultural sort of uh, norms that, that are different, right? But it's not easy and there is not an easy button and there's not necessarily a one size fits one, uh, all approach. But I do think that, uh, doing the work as a team to kind of co-create and have common language that people can all, you know, buy into and that they resonate with and that it has shared meaning and then align behaviors to that, right? And hold people accountable to the behaviors that are aligned to those things. That would be my my two cents on where to start, at least. Worth quite a bit more than two cents, truly. Thank you. Um, I, I love the question. And all of you are here and you heard the question. You probably see it in chat. I'll read it again. I'm in a country with extreme diversity in race, language, communities, et cetera. How do we bridge these diversities in relation to the culture and retaining talent in the workplace? Please, please, please jump in the chat if you have thoughts. Raise your hand. We'll let you come off a mute. I'll tell you what came to my mind as, as I was contemplating this and listening to Julie. The two words were empathy and curiosity. And you've heard that word from Julie already, but the power of empathy and the power of curiosity. And what, what I think we've all experienced at different times in, in attracting and retaining top talent is the initial and frankly easy way out, which is to attract a like-minded um, similar homogenous team just because there's comfortability and there's safety and there's certainty. If I can get people like me in a space, I feel more comfortable and feel more quote safe. The power though is in the diversity. And frankly, what that leads to is a letting go, right? A letting go of control, a letting go of certainty. And in that space where I'm, I'm around people that are different than me, and I have to move into a space of what might be fear. And the greatest way to, to uh, mitigate fear, in my opinion, is to try and chase the illusion of control. I'll just keep it. I'll keep it how I want it, how I know it'll work. And that just that mitigates fear versus being able to say, I'm not going to try and force a culture fit. I'm not going to try and force people 
or the talent that I'm trying to attract, I'm not going to force them into my world that I'm quote safe and certain in. I want to create space and I want to build bridges that attract a diversity of thought, a diversity of people, which puts me into spaces that might be uncomfortable, that might create questions or spaces of question. And in that, my security as a human and as a leader and my humility to really go after curiosity of people really opens the door for some powerful, powerful connections. And um, what, what came to mind was Adam Grant. You, you've, you've heard us talk about Simon Sinek. I'll mention Adam Grant and Amy Edmondson, three great authors and leaders and voices on culture and um, attraction and retaining of top talent. Adam Grant talks about culture fit versus culture ad. To move into a space of diversity, we have to shift from culture fit which is attracting people like me, which is easier and safer in the short term, but it, it takes away and, and removes the beautiful opportunities of diversity if I only hire people like me. So moving from culture fit to culture add, how can I stay within the bounds of my values, right? And if my values are clear and compelling, then they're values that, can, that I can use to hire, manage to, and fire. That's the power of values. So if I have values, then yes, these are the borders and the banks that I get to hire within. But in those banks of our values, keeping us connected in, in the borders of our values, how do I shift from culture fit to culture add? How do I embrace people that are different from me, have different, um, different patterns of thinking, different stories, different back backgrounds, so we can get as comprehensive and as beautiful a diverse experience as possible. And if we say the genius is in the room, then let's get diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity of perspective into the mix so that we can become even better, moving from culture fit to culture add. So, That's so good. You want to go to the. Yeah. So, okay. kind of final question here um, walk through some personal learnings and some predictions for the future. So, LV, you're eight ball first. <laughs> Um, I'm going to put the eight ball down and share a personal story. <laughs> Y'all, when, when I think about the power of leadership as it pertains to culture and specifically attracting and retaining top talent, I think people want to surround themselves by people who they want to be like. I think they want to follow. I mean, we become who we follow. And so am I a leader worth following? Are you a leader worth following? And when I think about that, my personal learning uh, several years ago I had a really, really tough time in my own leadership journey. And frankly, I missed it. I, I had a massive, massive miss in my own leadership journey. And I read a book called Rare Leadership, and it told a story of an athlete named Matt, uh, Matt Emmons, um, an American riflery shooter, if, I, if that's the term, but was world number one going into the 2004 Athens Olympics and was crushing the competition. Going into, going into the Olympics, he was by far head and shoulders above the field, number one. And as everyone anticipated and forecasted, he just rolled through the preliminary stages and just cruising light years ahead of the competition and was going into, into the medal round and was so far ahead of the competition that going into his final shot, and if you can imagine the shooting bays, right? These, these are shooting bays that all of these riflery athletes are lined up in. Going into the final shot, all he needed to do was hit the target to win the gold medal. True story. All he needed to do was hit the target. Anywhere in the target, he would have won gold. 
And so the story goes, Matt, Emmett, uh, Matt Emmons lined up, took aim, took a deep breath, fired bullseye. Crowd went crazy. He pumped his fist, gold medal. Until he realized that he hit the wrong target. He was lined up in shooting bay three, and for whatever reason, had aimed at shooting bay two. Not only did he not win gold, but because he didn't even hit the target, he fell off the podium, came in fourth, didn't even medal. And the point there for me, and as I was reading this during the season of my life, the point there for me was, oh my gosh, I missed my target. The challenge is that I missed my target by hitting the bullseye. And the two targets for leadership are numbers, competency, goals, or people, relationships, and trust. Y'all, I was crushing my numbers. I was crushing my competencies. I was crushing my goals. I was absolutely moving through everything I needed to do, and I lost my people in the process. It is very possible to hit a bullseye and miss the target entirely. And so for leadership, I have to ask myself, what target am I aimed at and what target am I trying to actually hit? And so that's a realignment for me that if I have any chance and hope of attracting the best talent and retaining the best talent, it is dynamically connected to my ability to maintain focus on what the right target is and to focus my energy on living it up first and then modeling it for my people. And so uh, my prediction is if we can do that, then we'll attract and retain the best people. Julia, throw it to you. Uh, that's a story I haven't heard you tell, I don't think. And that was, that was a powerful one. I'm going to, I'll lead, I guess, with future prediction and then personal kind of a personal learning and maybe my kind of wrap up, if you will. So future prediction, I, I sort of live in the future. <laughs> um, I'm pretty terrible at, I, I don't go backwards much and I'm, I'm probably not as present as I should be, but my personal opinion is I think we are just entering into kind of a, a unconscionable dis- period of disruption, right? That's going to absolutely impact talent, myself included, right? And I think disruption is going to occur in a, a number of different ways. I think I think it's going to be how are you know CRE services bought and sold? How are professionals in CRE delivering those services? How are they compensated to deliver those services? Where, how, and when do people work? Right? Who is doing the work? The demographics of our workforce are changing rapidly, right? And then what role does technology play in all of that? So I think it's just this is a transformational time, and I my senses were, were we. We just went through what we thought was a transformational period, and it was transformational in many ways, but I think this one is going to be much more intense and will impact everything we're talking about today much more intensely. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, real transformation, right? If we're going to really lead with intentionality through this uh, this transformation, that requires fundamentally relationship, right? To get through it. And and culture is, you know, a, is critical in that. But I think it has to start with, with real meaningful relationship with our with our people. And, and that goes back to the curiosity and the empathy, like never stop dating, right? Like, I mean, that's, I don't know about folks on the call. I've been, I've been married for a while now and have three kids. And I can say, you know, if we weren't intentional about continuing to build that relationship, right, then our, our kids would leave home and we wouldn't have probably much of a relationship. So it, it requires a lot of intentionality to, to stay connected and to continue to build that relationship. And I think the worst thing we can do is just invest a bunch of time in courting 
bring somebody in and then kind of throw them to the wayside as a means to an end in the organization. That's that's probably the recipe for attrition, I'm, I'm sure. So I, I think in terms of just kind of some final thoughts here, LV, I'm a, I'm a pretty obnoxious, obnoxiously optimistic person. As I said, I live in the future, like there's always better. And so I'm sort of always chasing what's better. But I, I mentioned empathy multiple times and LV did. And I, I think it's just really fitting to kind of close with that. And I was sharing with LV that, you know, it's just, it's a time that there's a lot of hard stuff hitting us, hitting our people, hitting people that aren't in our organizations yet, you know, another school shooting, right? There's COVID, we're taking care of families. There's just an incredible burden on humans right now. And we're at the end of the day, that's the commonality. That's the bridge, right? We are all human. Like we are just trying to survive and maybe thrive right in our, in our lives. And so it can feel really overwhelming. Like even for me as a, you know, uh, eternal optimist, right. It can be numbing at times even. And so I think when we think about talent, whether we're recruiting them or retaining them, it's like, how do we demonstrate empathy as leaders and curiosity and show this genuine care? I think I led with like, the question is how do we make them feel? And not just in that journey map of, of recruiting, but like all the way through, you know, the experience. And I'll close with this. I was talking to another leader at JLL and kind of grappling with the news of the week and just how painful that's been for a lot of people and people trying to understand it and, and work through it. And, and there's, a, there's four questions that we, we talked about and that we're starting to ask ourselves and our teams. And LV has an awesome chart. And I don't know if LV, you've got it to pull it up for the group, but it, it talks about intentional and versus accidental and how you know, we've really got to start with ourselves, right? You care for yourself and you, you take care of yourself. And then that extends outward ultimately to, you know, family, team, organization, and then community. And so the four questions, and, and, and this was, she got this actually from a, a brilliant woman named Ico, who has a, a consulting company called Rare, Rare Consulting. But the questions were, what do I need in this moment? How might I shift so that I can carry this load in the best way possible? That's the me. How do I take care of me? And then the two questions outwardly to the team is how can I offer rest to others and how can I offer light for the path that others are on? And I'll just, you know, LV, you said it really well, like be the person that people want to line up out the door to work with and work for, right? Be the leader that people are inspired to follow, right? Be the organization that people you know, who want a really rich and rewarding career, right? Surrounded by greatness, you know, performance, right? Obviously we're, we're in business to perform, but, um, but are also embraced by a culture that cares for them, right? That gives them a sense of belonging. Be that organization, be the organization that people flock to, right? And then they stay because when they get there, they, they realize that you're living in congruency with that promise that you made, right? That that's who you're going to be as a leader, that that's who you're going to be as an organization. So with that, I'll pass it back to you. As always, Julie, well said, an absolute honor, y'all. I can't tell you how fun it's been to work with Julie and to partner. We've been learning with and from each other and the whole JLL team for months now and excited about this chance to share with you all. So we've got a few minutes here. I know... Um, I know we want to respect your time, but are there any immediate questions that we can engage and or immediate thoughts or takeaways from what you've heard and careful? Because I might be bold enough to just ask a couple people if they do want to jump on and engage with us. Any questions or comments, takeaways from the audience here? Tim, I've seen you the whole time. You've been nodding and engaged and we are grateful for you. Anything that you want to share or a takeaway from our time together or a question for either of us? 
Uh, thanks, LB. Uh, no, no questions. I would just like to thank you and Julie both for a, a great session here. I learned a lot, uh, a lot of great takeaways, and so much of it resonated with me in terms of what really matters and how to move forward and make a difference for people. So, you know, hats off for a great job. It was an excellent session. Tim, thank you. Appreciate your engagement. Thanks for being here. Coordinate team, we wanted to thank you all for hosting this and for creating space for us to be able to share some of our story and, and learnings. I'll stress that personally, and, and I know I speak for Julian on this, we don't come in with subject matter expertise titles. We come in with hungry, learning, uh, aware leaders that were in a process of growth and, and development ourselves. And so um, know that this is from a place of what we're experiencing and learning and thinking through right now today, and that will change tomorrow and next week, and we'll continue learning with all of y'all. So Thank you for having us. I'll throw it back to the Coordinate team. Well, thank you so much, LV and Julie and the rest of the Procore team. I think this was a fantastic webinar, some great insights, some fantastic perspectives. And thank you so much for making the time to share them with us today. And thank you to everyone who attended. We appreciate it. We know it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of virtual events out there and everyone has busy uh, schedules. So thank you for making the time to, to attend and listen. And hopefully we'll see you at a future webinar wherever you are. I uh, hope you have a great uh, morning, afternoon, or evening. Thank you. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.